0: This is the Hasidic Story Project with Barack Holman, podcasting from Jerusalem, Israel. To become a supporter of this podcast, please go to HasidicStory.com. H A S I D I C Story.com. You'll never know. You'll never know. This is a story that was told by Rabbi Binyamin Klein, who was one of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's personal secretaries. There was a well-known Jewish professor. In the story, his name is not mentioned, but it said that he was from Europe. And he was a, a chassid of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He merited to have several private audiences with the Rebbe, starting from the 70s. And since the Rebbe passed away, he regularly visited the Rebbe's grave at the Ohel, the Montefiore Cemetery in New York. Anytime that he would travel to New York, he would make sure after his business was done that he would go to the Ohel and daven by the side of the Rebbe. Several years ago, he was in New York to give a lecture to a group, and the group sent a driver to pick him up from the airport. After he completed his lecture circuit, he told the driver on the way back to the airport that he wanted to stop at the Ohel for just 10 minutes to daven by the burial place of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The driver was very interested and started asking questions. As it turned out, the driver was Jewish and he admitted to the professor that he'd never done anything Jewish in his life, but he was sure that he and his wife were Jews because he knew their parents were Jews. And so, since the professor and the driver were going to the Ohel, the driver asked the professor if he could please arrange a ticket for the driver to enter because he wanted to go as well. And the professor said, look, it's open 24 hours a day and it's free for everyone. So the driver said, well, if that's the case... Then I'm coming with you. And so they parked the car next to the ohel, and the professor gave him a kippah. Together, they went into the cemetery and then to the Rebbe's grave. As soon as they were standing there next to the Rebbe's grave, the taxi driver closes his eyes for a second and then bursts out in uncontrollable crying. (laughs) His whole body was shaking. He put his hands over his face, and he cried like a baby. The professor was standing there really besides himself. He didn't know what to think. He tried to ignore all the crying in, in Davin, which was the whole purpose that he was there for. And when he was finished, he tapped the taxi driver on the shoulder, and the two of them went back to the taxi together. The driver found some tissue. He blew his nose. He wiped his eyes. And then when he got into the car, the professor said to him, tell me, what was that all about? What what happened there at the oil? Why were you crying like that? And the driver, he could barely get out the words. My dog. The professor was beside himself, he wasn't sure that he understood what the driver had said. And the driver said it again, our dog, Freddy, he's having an operation. And then his eyes turned red, and he started to cry again. When he calmed down, the professor said to him, your what? Your dog? A dog? That's why you're crying? Are you, are you joking? And the professor didn't want the driver to see that he was about to burst out laughing, the guest said again, is this for real? You're crying over a dog like this? The driver said, yeah, I'm crying over our dog. He said, I'll, I'll tell you why the dog is so important to us. My wife and I have been married for many years, and we never merited to have children. We went to all the specialists, all the doctors, and everyone said there was no way for us to have children, so we adopted this dog, Freddy. And Freddy, he's such a wonderful dog. He's so special. He means everything to us. But last week, he had a stroke. And then the driver started crying again. And the vet said, there's no chance that he's ever going to be his old self again. There's a small chance if he has an operation, but the veterinarian thinks that that won't even work. And the operation is tomorrow. And me and my wife are going out of our minds. And so that's why I was crying. I was hoping that by standing by the Rebbe, my prayers would be accepted. So the professor was listening and he was trying to be kind, but he could see he wasn't doing such a great job. He said, listen, my friend, if worse comes to worse, you can always get another dog, right? And then the driver started crying again, even worse than before, and he had to even pull over on the side of the road and stop. When they finally got to the airport, the professor gave the driver a nice tip and also gave him his business card. He said, listen, I'm sorry if I was cruel. It wasn't intentional. I'm actually really interested to hear what happens to your dog. Here's my phone number. Call me collect after the operation and tell me what happened. And so the two of them parted ways. And an entire year passed, and the professor completely forgot about the driver and the crazy situation at the OHEL. And a year later, the professor receives a collect call from New York. He doesn't recognize the caller. He wasn't expecting any collect calls, so he didn't accept the call. But then, after the guy called five times, he realized it was the taxi driver, and he accepted the collect call. Hello, professor. How are you doing? Oh, thank God. Hashem. It's been so long. I'm sorry I didn't accept the charges at first. I completely forgot about you. Tell me, how's your dog? How did the operation go? Thank God, thank God, it was a miracle. A real miracle. In fact, our Freddy came back to life, and he's healthier than he ever was. You should really see him. Next time you're in New York, you have to come and see him. And you have no idea, Professor, how grateful we are to you. And the Rebbe, the dog is so healthy and happy. And even the doctor said it was a miracle. Well, that's really great news, and I'm so happy for you. But tell me, why did you wait a year? to call me? Why didn't you call me right after the operation? Well, the driver said, I saw you back then and I saw you really didn't understand anything about dogs. I figured why should I waste your money calling you collect? Figured I'd bothered you enough. The professor said, too bad. I really wanted to know what happened to your dog, but I'm happy to hear everything's good now. He said, but tell me, why are you calling me now a year later? And the driver answered, ah, professor, that's the whole point. You see, after Freddie got better, my wife and I were so happy." that we went back to the Ohel to say thanks to the Rebbe. And when we were there, we asked one of the Hasidim, how do we show our gratitude to the Rebbe? And the Hasid said, the Rebbe wants every Jew to do the mitzvot. And so he suggested that I put on tefillin every day. And he put tefillin on me right there on the spot. And then he arranged for my wife to learn about going to the mikveh. And my wife started going to the mikveh. And I started putting on tefillin. And eventually the Rabbi came and koshered our house. We started keeping kosher. We started keeping Shabbos. He said, so that's why I'm calling you. After we started doing all of this, you won't believe what happened. My wife got pregnant. And that was months ago, Professor. And you won't believe it. But today is the bris of our son. We had a baby boy. And it's all thanks to you taking me to the Rebbe and me davening by the Rebbe. And that's why I'm calling you, Professor. It's true, you didn't understand anything about dogs. But this I knew you would appreciate. Of course, Rabbi Klein, who was telling the story, he said it's a given that the couple who had the baby boy were raising that boy as a kosher Jew, following in the path of Torah and Mitzvot. If you don't know yet, my sweetest friends, I have another amazing podcast called Jewish People and Ideas, where I have conversations with some of the most high-profile and influential Jewish thinkers and writers. I recently uploaded a new episode with Rabbi Eric Yoffe, the former head of the Reform Movement in North America. It's a fascinating conversation, and here's a little snippet from the conversation. Rabbi Eric Yaffe served as president of the Union for Reform Judaism, the congregational arm of the Reform Jewish Movement in North America from 1996 to 2012. The Union for Reform Judaism represents 1.5 million Reform Jews in 900 synagogues across the United States and Canada. Rabbi Yoffie received his rabbinical ordination from Hebrew Union College in 1974, in 1983 He was named the Executive Director of the Association of Reform Zionists of America. In 1992, he became the Vice President of the Union for Reform Judaism, and in 1996 the President of the Union for Reform Judaism until his retirement in 2012. This was a remote interview with Eric sitting in New Jersey and me in Jerusalem. We spoke about what does Judaism expect of a reformed Jew, conversions in the State of Israel, the Kotel, Chabad, American-Jewish and Israeli relations, the Palestinians, and much more. I'm a product of the Reform Movement, even though I don't look like a Reform Jew anymore. I guess I shouldn't say that. What does a Reform Jew look like? But that's not the question. (laughs) I'm not what my mother expected me to look like. My mother is a, a very deeply committed Reform Jew. One of the things that she said is, I have ten talitot. (laughs) And I have all of these granddaughters and I can't leave them to any of them. So that just shows you the family that I came from and the dilemma that my poor mother has. Okay. I'm a product of the reform movement really for the good. I grew up a religious reform Jew. Right. Which when I tell people in Israel that I grew up religious but I grew up reform, they're confused. It's like a paradox. Right. We didn't know anything about Halacha. It wasn't a concept in our lives. Yeah. And when I told this to Nathan Sharansky in our interview, he said, "So what happened?" I told him I went off the derech. <laughs> Even though people call it Orthodox Judaism, I call it Halachic Judaism or Shulchan Judaism. Okay. So, can you please explain to me what's Reform Judaism? Well, we can look at Reform in a variety of ways. We can look at it sociologically. We can look at it theologically. Let's let's talk about fundamental principles that apply to most reformed Jews who have a, a, a commitment to a reformed tradition there's a, a belief that Judaism is evolving a growing a changing tradition that has to m- remain within a traditional framework and yet at the same time be applied to the problems and issues of everyday to hear the rest of this conversation search for my name Barack Holman, Barak Holman B A R A K H-U-L-L-M-A-N, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or go to JewishPeopleIdeas.com. JewishPeopleIdeas.com.